we looked the first week, the big focus was on how when they crossed over the Jordan River, that when they crossed over, they weren't crossing over because of the past that was driving them. When they were crossing over into the promise that God had set before them. And last week we talked, we kind of went backwards, and we talked about how everything that they were experiencing in their walk with God almost didn't happen because they got caught up in what we called a selfie trap last week. They got caught up on self-preservation and how things were going to impact them and them wanting to preserve themselves almost kept them from stepping into the promised land because they were intimidated by all the giants that they saw in the promised land. Well, today I want to jump forward in that story. This is kind of a discombobulated series. We're not in any kind of chronological order. We're just looking at their journey and seeing how it can apply to our journey as a church. I want to jump forward in that journey, and I want to look at the book of Judges, chapter 2. And if you guys will, go ahead and put that up on the screen. If you got your Bibles, follow along with your Bibles. This is the children of Israel have fought. They've taken over the promised land. They've walked into the promise, the provision. They've moved, they, they've got it. They're setting up territories. Who's getting what land? Who's getting this land? Who's getting that land? Verse 6 in, Joshua, or in Judges 2, after Joshua had dismissed the Israelites... They went to take possession of the land, each their own inheritance. The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and all who had seen all that the great things that the Lord had done for Israel. Joshua, son of Un, or Nun, the, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110, and they buried him in the land of his inheritance at Tenneth in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gash. Look at verse 10. This is one of the worst indictments against a generation that I've ever read of. After that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who neither knew the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. And this is a group of people that had seen God move. This is a group of people that had seen God provide. This is a group of people that had seen God part the Red Sea, part the Jordan River, deliver all of their enemies into their hands. This is a group of people that saw the walls of Jericho come crashing down. They had seen God do so many powerful things. But they messed up where it counted the most because they didn't pass that on to the next generation. Guys, I don't want that to be the truth in my family. And I know you don't want it to be the truth in your family. And we sure don't want that to be a fact in LifePoint Church. Where we see God do the miraculous and the powerful. And move in mighty ways. And have great testimonies of all the stuff that he's done. But we blow it when it comes to passing it on to the next generation. We don't want to be that church. And we started the, the beginning of this year with a bunch of goals. And a bunch of stuff that we looked at. And we called it all in. How many of y'all know what I'm talking about when I say the words all in? I know some of you are, are newer to the church. And, uh, and you haven't really heard these words talk much in the last part of the year. Um, all in. All in was a commitment that we made. Individually. In our walk with God. And goals we wanted to set personally to see God through us. All in represented goals 
that we said as a church body and things that we just wanted to put out there and some of them in areas of crazy faith where we wanted to see God provide and give God something miraculous to, to, to work with, faith to work with to do the miraculous, I guess is a better way to say it. And I want to go over those goals with you real fast um, because it's very pertinent to what we're talking about today. All in goals that we started at the beginning of the year, don't forget, we wanted to get closer to God than we had ever been before. Closer to God than we'd ever been before, individually and as a church. And those two words, all in, are on the back wall over there where our security people are standing right now to remind us every time we walk into this sanctuary of the commitment that we made. The promises that we were believing God for. We wanted to go all in in our relationship with God because we knew that everything that God was going to do through us and through this church was going to flow out of our relationship with God. You can't hype up a move of God. You can't trump up a move of God. You can't plan and organize a move of God. It's got to be birthed out of a passionate relationship. That fire's got to start in an individual's heart before it spreads corporately to a church. Amen? So that's what we wanted because nothing else mattered if we didn't get this first. The second thing we said we wanted to do was this. All in, we wanted to increase our outreach efforts as a church because as we grew in our relationship with God, we knew we were going to capture the heart of God. When you get closer to God, you love what God loves. God loves lost. The Bible says that he loved them so much that he sent his only son to die for them. Not just for them, but for us. So that's another thing we wanted to do. We wanted to increase our outreach efforts. And we've done a lot of things in the church this year that we haven't done in previous years to try to reach the community and see lives impacted for the kingdom of God. And the third thing we wanted to do is this. We wanted to increase a focus on missions and guys, we did that, man. We knocked it out of the park on some stuff. Look, we're kind of getting into the last part of the year, but don't forget that there's a church that's standing in Kenya, in Kenya right now that wasn't there. It wasn't there before. It wasn't there before, and we had a part to play in that. Guys, we established a church on another continent. Praise God for that. Amen? Praise God for that. The fourth thing we wanted to do is this. We wanted to begin to invest in our student and children's ministry like we never have before. And the fifth one is closely tied to that because we wanted to step out in faith as a church family to begin to fund the vision that God had given us. We wanted to be able to invest in our student and children's ministries in a way that we hadn't before because we realized the importance of investing in the next generation. Now, at LifePoint Church, we want to have a church where our students and our children matter. We want to have a church where our students and our children matter. Because it does absolutely no good for us to experience all the awesome things of God and not pass that on to the next generation. I never want this church to be guilty of not passing that baton not passing on that faith, not passing on the stories and the testimonies. Psalm, if you turn to the book of Psalm chapter 78, Psalm 78, verse 5 through 7, says this, He decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our ancestors to teach their children. So the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born, and they in turn would teach their children then they would put it, their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. 
passing on to the next generation. Teaching them about the things of God. Establishing the principles of God in their hearts. Laying a foundation in their life to build their faith on. That's our job as the current generation. That's our job as parents in the home. That's our jobs as grandmom and granddad to help lay that foundation and pass on those teachings and set that example and to establish a passing of our faith from one generation to the next. Now I know there's going to come a time when they have to own it for themselves. But shame on us if we don't do our part to set up the next generation for success in their walk with God. Are you with me? I got some stats I want to read you. How many of you would say that, Josh, I want the best for my kids, and I want to see my kids set up for success in life and set up for success in their walk with God? How many parents would say that? Yeah, that's a no-brainer. Absolutely we do. That's exactly what I want for my life, too, or for my children's life. I want to see them successful in everything God's called them to do. But you know that we've got a world out there that's working hard to cut the legs out from underneath that dream. And we've got a devil out there who has so honed his strategy against our youth, against our students, and against our children that if it wasn't, if it wasn't really for my faith in me seeing what God can do in a person's life, it would almost be intimidating to me as a person, as a parent, and as a pastor. I want to read you some stats that our students and our kids are facing. These are stats, so they're approximate. They're not like carved in stone. Um, there's always exceptions to the rules. But approximately one million teenage girls become pregnant each year. That's bad enough, but of that group, 350,000 of them will choose to have an abortion this year. That's a million teenage girls who have their world turned upside down and have their dreams and their future put in serious check and jeopardy because now they've got a, t- a child to take care of. 350,000 of them are going to choose to have an abortion. That's 350,000 unborn children that aren't going to walk this planet. This is why I'm absolutely stoked about our relationship with the Pregnancy Resource Center here in Douglasville. They meet with with women who are caught with unexpected pregnancies. They meet with teenage girls who are going through this, and they give them biblical counsel, and they keep them in a real vulnerable time. They try to steer them towards the choice of life. And in the process, a lot of these people in a crazy in a crazy period of their life accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior. There's a lot we can do to combat this stuff and I'm so proud to say that our church sponsors them, we partner with them, and we have men and women from this church that volunteer and serve that ministry. So we don't just talk about it, we're involved with it here at this church. That's a really sobering stat. Here's another one. of high school seniors have used drugs of some kind. Now, I know some of you are thinking back on your high school experience, and you're like, yeah, (laughs) no doubt. I know we got some ex-stoners in here. (laughs) See, y'all are laughing. Y'all know. (laughs) See, y'all appreciate this. By eighth grade, 15% of students have smoked pot. 43% of seniors have smoked pot. 43% of seniors. That's just crazy. Almost half of seniors 
a smoke pot. 64% of teens have abused prescription drugs of some kind. That's over half. And you've got to look at numbers like this, and you've got to start asking questions like, why? Why? Is it because it's a cool thing to do? I know we harp on that a lot in church. It's a cool thing to do, and there's peer pressure and all that stuff. But, but I also know that if you take time to teach your children about these things, a lot of times they make responsible and correct decisions. Um, I think a lot of this that we see in our school systems now is just a cry, cry of desperation from the heart of the next generation that doesn't know where to turn and doesn't know how to get a compass set in the right, direct, the right direction in their life. Um, where are we at? 64%. By 8th grade, 30% of students have used alcohol. 58% of sophomores use alcohol. 71% of seniors have abused alcohol. 71%. Not like sipped it, abused it. Systematically, in their life, abused. This ought to scare the junk out of you if you're a parent. 24% of students admit to riding with a driver who had been drinking. My kid doesn't drink. Did they ride with somebody that has been? That's almost one in four. One in four. If we went by those numbers in this church, see what I'm saying? One in four. And the top three causes of death in teens, auto crashes, homicide, and suicide, alcohol is a leading factor. These are a generation of people crying out for a solution to a hole that's in their heart that they don't know how to fill. I think we can reach some of these people. What do you say? It's important that we reach our next generation. Here's some more stats. Is that that wasn't sobering enough, and that wasn't enough to think about. Nine in ten boys are exposed to porn by age 18. Six in ten girls are exposed by the age of 18. The average age of a student's first exposure to porn is around 12 years of age. 12 years old. That's crazy. I remember... I remember being like seven or eight in, in a barn of a friend's house looking at some old Playboy magazine he had. You know, seven or eight. The average age is, is 12. That's insane. 30% of teens admit to sexting. That's almost one in three. Let that sink in. And I know what you're thinking. My kid would never do anything like that. My kid doesn't look at porn. My kid wouldn't sex. My kid, I don't have those issues with my kids. This next number will probably scare you a little bit because 70% of teens admit to hiding online activity from their parents. I got news for you, parents. If your kid is over the age of 12 and you're debating whether or not to have the talk with them, I can tell you it's probably too late. They can probably have the talk with you. You said you could do what? Oh my gosh, to take notes. Yeah, they, they probably know. They probably know. They probably know. One in five teens will deal with depression. This makes them 12 times more likely to attempt suicide. 
Depression's a huge issue facing our students today. You've got bullying. You've got all kinds of insecurity issues because, look, not to get awkward, bodies are changing, hormones are flowing, stuff is going on that hadn't gone on before. You know, it, it's a crazy, it's a crazy time. And, and there's a lot of insecurity that comes with those times. They get vulnerable. They deal with anxiety. They deal with depression. And students, this is just crazy. And students, 9th through 12th grade, they're an average of 3,470 suicide attempts every day in the U.S. Every day. That's a generation that needs some help. It's a generation that needs some help. Because while all this is happening, there's far too many students that will walk away from God when they graduate from high school and they leave home. Do I have your attention this morning? We got a big problem that we're facing as parents and grandparents. I don't even want to think about the issues that my children's children are going to be facing when it's their time. Big issues that we're facing. But here's what I know. The God that we serve is bigger than any stat that you can put on a piece of paper. And the same God that gave hope to us and saved us from a lot of the junk that we walked out of is the same God that can reach the next generation and give them hope Give them a future, give them a dream, give them passion, let them understand His love, and set them up for success in their life and their calling. Amen? It's the same God. If He did it for us, He can do it for them. Because if He did it before, He can do it again. Amen? He can do it again. Now, Josh, how in the world does this tie up to me? How, how does this play into what's going on in a big way? Because there are four major influences in your kid's life. There's four of them. And you know what the first one is? It's you, the parent. You are the most influential person in the life of your student or your child. You. Now, they'll probably never tell you that, especially if they're a teenager. In fact, if you ask them publicly, you're probably goofy and they tolerate you right now. But you are the most influential person in your child's life. They look to you. My children look to me. How does daddy respond to this? What does daddy do when this happens? The second thing that influences them is the church. You got you, the parent. You've got the church. Thirdly, you've got this. You've got school. And the fourth influence in the life of your student and your children is their friends. The parent, the church, the school, and the friends. Now, parents, I want to ask you straight up. Okay, listen to me. I'm going to ask you a question. How much control do you as a parent have over all four of those areas of influence in their life. How much control do you have over it as a parent? I'll tell you, every single one of them. Every single one of them. Okay? 
Every single one. Now, I know school practically becomes a bit of an issue, especially if you have your children in, in a public school. Uh, usually, whatever area you're in, you go to that school, and I get that. But listen, here's the deal. You need to pay attention to what your child is learning at school. Okay? And I'm not talking about what kind of grades they're getting. My kid's getting straight A's. I know they're learning a lot. I'm not talking about book smarts that they're getting from school. I'm asking you to pay attention to what they're learning at school. Because those schools are set up by a government, and that government is teaching a philosophy in every class. And that philosophy is setting your child's outlook and take on life. Everybody's complaining about this new generation that's coming up called millennials. Well, millennials, they feel privileged. Millennials this, millennials that. Millennials in a huge way are a product of the school system that they've come out of. It's a philosophy systemic in our society. And instead of complaining about what we're looking at, listen, as parents and as an older generation, how about we come alongside the next generation and support them? And instead of making fun of them, we help set them up and give them some skills to be productive in this world. All right? Listen, I believe that the millennial generation can be the greatest generation that's ever come out of the church. Hands down. Hands down. And that car horn does too, apparently. Honking, honking, honking. Um, So you've got the parent, you've got church, and you've got school, and you've got their friends. Parents, you can control the friends that your kids hang out with. Amen? You can be mean parent and say no. Amen? You can be mean parent and you can say no. No, you can't hang out with them. They're an idiot. It's okay. No, you cannot hang out with Stacy. She's a hoe. You can't do it. You can just talk to your parents like that, right? You want to hang out with Bobby? No, you can't hang out with Bobby. Bobby doesn't have enough common sense to fill a balloon. You're not going to be hanging out with him. You know, if you're hearing those of your names, I'm sorry. (laughs) I didn't mean to to call you an idiot or a hoe. I know you've probably never been called a hoe in church if your name is Stacy or if you listen to the podcast or online. So I'm glad I could do that for you today. (laughs) Um, That one's free. All these major influences come into play, though, in your kid's life. Listen. As a parent, you choose whether or not your child and your student is at church. I want to talk to you for just a second as a pastor, okay? Four influences, you can control the vast majority of every bit of it as a a parent. But I want you to hear me. Because as a parent, if you're struggling spiritually, and if as a parent your relationship and your walk with God isn't really a reality, you're taking a huge influence out of the life of your kids. Okay? If as a parent, you don't put a priority on having your children and your students in the services at church, whether it's a Sunday or a Wednesday or a special youth event that's like going on this this Wednesday, you're making a choice and you're removing a major influence from the life of your child. Are you hearing me? Now most people don't think practically when it comes to this stuff. We think convenience with our schedules because we've worked ourselves silly and it's Wednesday night and we just want to sit home and veg because Thursday's coming and we need a couple extra hours of rest. I get that. But you're communicating something to your kids. And what you're telling them is is that church isn't important. 
And when you tell them church isn't important, what you're really saying is that God isn't important. Are you hearing me? So as a parent, when you're struggling with your walk with God and you choose not to show up and you take your kid out of church, you've just taken two of the major influencers out of their life that's going to point them to the kingdom of God. All they got left to influence them is their friends and what they're learning at school. And I can promise you this, if you remove a major influence from their life like church, something's going to fill that void. The enemy's going to put something in there to take that place. There's going to be some kind of illegitimate voice speaking into the life of your child. And you've got to ask yourself as a parent, what direction is that going to put my child on? What course am I allowing my kid to, be, to go down? Well, that's not a fun question to think about. Every one of us in here would probably say, we want our kids to go to heaven. Amen? I know I would. I want my child to go to heaven. I want to spend eternity with my kid. I want to give them a high five in heaven. I want to have fun with them. We've got to ask ourselves this. As parents, practically, are we setting ourselves up, are we setting our kids up, rather, for that to be a reality in their life? Because they're looking at us while they're forming their worldview, they're putting together how this world works, and they're taking their cue off of us to figure out whether or not God is a real thing, whether or not church is important, and they're deciding at an early age whether or not they're going to carry this on when they're an adult. Are you as a parent setting the example and setting the priority in the life of your child to point them spiritually in the right direction. Because you can't say you want your kid to go to heaven and then communicate to them that God is second best in the life. Okay? And it's real quiet and everybody's coughing and squirming a little bit. Should I crack a joke right now? Really? Two guys went into a bar and... Crack a joke? No. This is the real problem in churches. This is the real problem in churches. Every pastor friend that I have is losing their mind trying to figure out how to get people to understand why church is so important, why it's important for parents to have their kids in services, and why it's important for kids to see their parents in service. Because it communicates something. Because you're an influencer. Because they're looking at you and taking their cues off of you. And they're forming their entire worldview off of what you say and what you do. Because what you do really tells the truth about what's important in your life, not so much what you say. Okay? There's a verse in Proverbs that says this. It says that if you train up a child in the way they, will go, they should go, when they are old, what does the Bible say? They won't depart from it. That's right. Train them up. When they're old, they won't depart from it. Do you know that that verse doesn't give really in, any spiritual direction? It just lays a principle out. That if you train your kids that it's important to be in the house of God, that it's important to spend time with God, that it's important to give to God, that it's important to, to spiritually put God as a priority in their life. If you train them and you model that, then when they're old, they won't depart from that. You'll lay a great foundation. But the reverse is also true. Because you're training your kid one of two directions. Either to serve the Lord or to not. And they're learning that by what you do. And they're learning that by the priority you put on being in the house of God and letting God be real in the living room and at the kitchen table of your house. 
You're training your children up to go one of two directions. And I want to challenge you this morning. Train them up so that 10 million years from now, we're all together in eternity, serving our Lord God in the presence of God in heaven, ruling and reigning the way he intended us to be. Guys, we, I know they're going to make their own decision because they have to choose whether or not to accept Jesus on their own. But as parents, as grandparents, as responsible parties, can we not agree today to do our best, to set the best example, to train up the next generation in such a way as that when they're old, they won't depart from the foundation that we set as influencers in their life? Can we agree on that today? I mean, you say, Pastor Josh, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to do my best. Starting now, going forward, I'm going to do my best to set my kids up for success in their walk with God. I'm going to do my best. Now listen, I know you're not going to be able to make every Sunday. I get that. I know you're not going to be able to make every Wednesday. I get that. I get it. But when we can be here, let's be here and let's have our students here because we're communicating importance to them. We're communicating importance to them. And God forbid that our kids miss out on an opportunity for God to move in their lives because it's inconvenient to our schedule as adults. We're going to have to stand account and give an account to that, to God. We're going to have to answer for that as parents, as adults, and for influ- as influencers in our kids' life. Why? Because the atmosphere that we allow in our home becomes the culture of our children. The atmosphere that we allow in our home becomes the culture of our children. They're going to take their cues off of us. They're going to take their cues off of us. Let's give them something good to take cues from. Amen? Because here at LifePoint Church, looking at all the stuff that's facing our students and our children, we need to make our children and our student ministries a major priority here at this church. We need to make them a major priority here at this church. Okay? Because they're facing so much. <laughs> they're dealing with so much, man. It's insane, the stuff that, that they're dealing with. I want our church to be a church where these ministries are some of the most important ministries in our church. Because it's our job to raise up the next generation of world changers. Amen? I was looking over the budget of our church over the last few years and I saw something that was just sobering to me. I saw the budget that we had designated for our student and our children ministries here at LifePoint and it blew me away because you know what our designated budget that we've been able to give to our student and children's ministries here at this church over the last several years has been goose egg. Goose egg. Guys, that shouldn't be. That shouldn't be. Because this generation is too important for us not to resource and for us not to fund. This generation is too important. Why? Because we've been in a season in our church where, I mean, we, we've, we've, we've been financially, we've just had this wall that we've hit over and over again as a church. And 
like the beginning of the year, we started all in and we all took pledges and, and we all dreamed big and thought big and, and we gave good for a little while and, and the money just wasn't there. After about Easter, I think it kind of died off. We've seen years like that over and over and over again as a church where we have enough money to handle the ministries that are going on here and to kind of throw little tips here and there towards things, but we're not able to fund the ministries of this church the way that we want to, to make the impact that we want to make. And I'm here as your pastor, and I'm telling you, look, if we want ministries in this church that are going to impact and make a difference in the life of this next generation, we're going to have to make some choices about what we fund around here. I want our ministries for our children and our students to be up there with our funding. It hadn't been there the last few years. We haven't been reaching the next generation as a church like we could have been. But I guarantee you we can change that, can't we? I guarantee you we can change that. So I want, when, I, when I come up here and I talk, I want you to connect with what we give as a church body. Listen, it's not something that we, you just throw money in a plate and then we pay a bunch of salaries with it and maybe we're paying a light bill. No. When you give an offering, you are changing lives. You're putting fuel in a vehicle of ministry that's going to impact the next generation. That's why we give, so we can change the world. So we can see these teenage girls not lose their dreams before they graduate high school because they're having to face life now as a single parent. So that a kid doesn't have to feel like there's no hope and be one of the over 3,400 kids that commit or attempt suicide every day. I think Life Point Church can do a lot to reach these people. And this is what I want to do. Listen, I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you. If you call Life Point Church your home to begin to give on a new level so that we can fund these ministries in a way that's going to be re- that will make them relevant to culture and, uh, and just give them everything they need to impact this world. Because what we're asking Pastor Brad and Pastor Rhiannon to do right now is to minister to our kids without resources. That shouldn't be. If our kids need something, we should have it for them. Amen? If our students need something, we should be able to give it to them. Because when they need something at home, who provides for it? You do as a parent, right? Why would we expect it to be any different here at the church? Well, the church should pay for that. The church can't because the funds aren't there. I think we can fix that, though. I've got a little idea. I've got a little idea. Going into 2018, I would love to see our student ministries and our children's ministries at least to have a minimal operating budget to work off of so they can do what God's called them to do in an effective way. Are you guys with me so far? All right. I would love to see that happen here at this church. We're coming up on the Christmas season, and I was thinking, you know what, as parents... How many of you plan on buying your kids a gift for Christmas? Yeah. Oh, my God. How many of you got a list that's probably bigger than it needs to be? <laughs> you're not going to get a Maserati, son. You can't do that. You're getting a D in history. To, <laughs> no, you're not getting a Maserati. Uh, kids, kids don't understand sometimes the concept of what things cost. 
We're all going to give things to our kids because we want the best for our kids. We want them to have some of the things that we didn't have growing up, right up to that line of spoiling them, I think, uh, sometimes. This Christmas season, since we're already in the mindset of giving a gift to our kids, why don't we put on that list one more thing and give them the gift of Jesus? And as parents and grandparents and people in the current generation, number one, we make a quality decision to set the example and make Jesus a standard in our house and make church a priority so that our kids can receive the ministry that they need. Amen? Number two, what if on that list of things that we give to our kids, we give the gift of resourcing the ministry that's going to equip them and be the number two influencer in their walk with God. You're going to spend money on a gift. I thought, what if this Christmas we come together as a church and we take up a Christmas offering on December 24th to begin to fund and provide for our children and our students' ministry for the next year. I would love to see, just as a start, I would love to see our children and our student ministries have a base operation of $10,000 as a budget going into the next year. Now that might sound like a lot, but really it's not. Because you're talking about two ministries splitting ten grand to resource and do what God has called them to do. That's a good base operating budget. That means we can give above and beyond that, amen? So how does that work? It will work like this. Starting today, starting today, we as parents and grandparents and even students that believe in God reaching your friends, we begin to give above and beyond our current tithes and offerings to this church. We begin to give to the Christmas offering project for our youth. Means today you can hop on your app or you can hop online and you can give and you can designate a gift to go towards that fund. Week after week, I'm going to come up here and I'm going to announce to you where we're at on this goal. I don't know if we can hit $10,000 before Christmas Eve, but how awesome would it be on Christmas Eve if we all came together as a church body and we celebrated the birth of our Savior and we had a cool little pajama party like we did last year. And we have some cake and we have some fun. And we celebrate Jesus' birthday. And we watch, hopefully, dozens of people get baptized. Wouldn't it be awesome if on that day we were able to announce that we've already hit the budget for our children and our youth ministries for the next year. And given them something to reach the next generation with. I'm looking for a response. Would that be awesome? How many of you think that's a good idea? It's important that we invest. Now, I don't know that we can hit it, but maybe you guys are crazy givers. Maybe God can take a little bit of faith and do a whole lot with it. Amen? You know, we, we, had a, we set a goal to, to raise some money for a church that we wanted to build in Kenya. We set a goal to raise it by the end of a couple of years ago so that we would have it going into 2016. And, and we missed that by a little bit. And it took a few months going into this current year for us to be able to have all the funds to give to that project for that church to be built. But I tell you what, we did it as a church, didn't we? 
Can you think of anything that's more important than our children and our students? Guys, I want you to pull together with me. Let's find a way. Let's find a way to give our children and our student ministries the resources they need so that they can reach this next generation. Amen? Now, if you're giving a gift to your kid already, man, how about adding one more? And it might be $50, it might be $100, whatever a normal gift would be to your kid. God might lay on your heart to do something a little more significant. I know when you think Christmas season, a lot of people, your credit cards are already smoking because of the stuff that you're fixing to have to do. I get that. But wouldn't it be awesome if we were able to put the gift of Jesus to the next generation on that list as a church? Amen? How many say that's a good idea? How many believe God can do something powerful in our student and in our children's ministry? And we don't have to wait till next year. This year on end, I want this next generation to know the God that I serve. Why? Because if he did it in me, he can do it in them. If he did it before, he can do it again. It's our job, it's our job to pass that torch on to the next generation. Stand with me, if you will. I'm going to ask the band to come up. Bow your heads and close your eyes. I want to ask a couple of questions real quick before we close and get out of here today. Thank you guys so much for being here. Thank you guys so much for being a part of what God's doing here at LifePoint Church. If you're here today, and... And to be honest about the truth of you and your relationship with God. There's only one or two answers here. Either you have a relationship with God or you don't. And I don't want anyone to walk out of here today without missing out on the opportunity to know the Jesus that I know, to experience Him the way that I do. Because I know if He can do the things that He's done in my life, He can do Definitely do those things in your life. I want you to know God desperately loves you. And he sent his son Jesus to die for you. So that you wouldn't have to go to hell. So that you could spend eternity for him. So you can know what it was like to be loved. So you can know what it was like to have joy. So you can know what it was like to have peace and purpose in your life. If you're here this morning, I want to give you an opportunity. Heads bowed and eyes closed. No one looking around. If you're here and you know, man, I, Josh, it, I don't have a relationship with God. And if I died right now, I know I would go to hell. That can be a reality in your life, but it doesn't have to be a finality in your life. I want to give you an opportunity to make a decision this morning to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. To allow Him to do in your life what He's done in so many people here. If you're here today and you know, I don't have a relationship with Jesus. I don't have a relationship with God. But I want to. When I count to three, I want you to lift your eyes up and I want you to look at me. I'm not going to single you out or embarrass you. I just want to give you an opportunity to say, you know what, I need to make a change. And I'm ready to do it. When I count to three, if that's you, I want you to lift your eyes up and look at me. One, two, three. Lift them up and look at me if you need to. I see you. Once you lift your eyes, you can put them back down. 
I want to make sure I give everyone the opportunity. I see you. Josh, I know. I know I'm not ready to stand before God. I'll give one more opportunity. If you haven't lifted your eyes yet and you know you need to, lift them up and look at me. Okay. I want everybody to pray this prayer after me. And if you lifted your eyes and you looked at me and said, I don't have a a relationship with God like I need to, but I'm ready to. I want Jesus to be on the throne of my life. I want you to repeat this prayer and mean it from your heart. Here we go. Everybody's going to pray it with you because we believe in you and we believe in what God can do in and through your life. So everybody repeat this after me. Jesus, I give you my life. Please be my Lord. Be my Savior. I choose right now to turn away from all the sin that's in my life. I know I might not be perfect, but I ask that you forgive me. I put you on the throne of my life. You're my Lord and my Savior. And I'm going to do my best to live my life to serve you. Speak to me. Show me what I need to do. I'll listen to your voice. And I'll follow you one step at a time. Let's give God praise for that. Come on.